Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of West Virginia and Pennsylvania. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Skylar Niece was born on February 10, 1996, to her very proud parents, Dave and Mary. The Nieces lived in Star City, West Virginia, which is a tiny little town just outside of Morgantown and boasts a whopping 1,800 residents. Skylar was an only child, so she was the center of her parents' entire world. She was known for her kind and bubbly personality, her amazing sense of humor, and her love of harmless little pranks. At the age of eight, Skylar became best friends with a girl named Sheila Eddy, and those two were inseparable. Sure, Skylar had plenty of friends, but Sheila was the friend. Either Sheila was at Skylar's or Skylar was at Sheila's, and because of that, Sheila kind of became like a second daughter to the nieces. They were so close, in fact, that when Sheila visited Skylar's house, there was a no-knock policy. It was Mikasa es su casa. When the girls started their freshman year at University High School in Morgantown, they befriended another student, a girl named Rachel Schof. She became a core high school friend, and at that point, the nieces told the Associated Press that Skylar's other friends slowly just dropped out of the picture. Skylar was only hanging out with Sheila and Rachel, and the girls even started calling themselves the Three Musketeers. Despite always hanging out with her friends, Skylar managed to get straight A's in school. Because she kept up those grades, the nieces didn't really see a problem with how much time Skylar was spending with Sheila and Rachel, though that did kind of change one night when they got a knock on the door from police. They'd called Skylar, Sheila, and Rachel speeding at around 2 a.m., which was way past the town's curfew. The nieces learned then that Skylar had been sneaking out of her first-floor bedroom window in the middle of the night to go joyriding with her besties. Needless to say, they were not pleased, but Skylar was a good kid, and this wasn't exactly the end of the world. The nieces later told the Associated Press that Skylar seemed genuinely remorseful when they were caught, so Mary and Dave thought the girls had honestly learned their lesson. They didn't worry too much about putting any distance between those three musketeers. Their friendship remained rock solid until early 2012, when the girls were about halfway through their sophomore year. At that point, something started to change. Students noticed that Sheila and Rachel would put Skylar down when she wasn't around, and in the spring of 2012, Skylar and Sheila started arguing a lot. This was high school, and it did seem pretty par for the course, and appeared to be getting better by late June when Skylar and Sheila went on a vacation together. Unfortunately, though, as we all know, things aren't always what they seem. Because a month later, on July 4th, 16-year-old Skylar spent a lot of time on Twitter tweeting things like, Stress will be the death of me, and sick of being at fucking home, thanks, friends, love hanging out with you all too. On July 5th, Skylar tweeted, You doing shit like that is why I will never completely trust you. That afternoon, Skylar worked her scheduled shift at Wendy's, and everything seemed to go as normal as it could. When she got home that night, she walked into the living room and sat down on the arm of the chair where her mom Mary was sitting. She gave her mom a hug and a kiss, told her she loved her, then turned to her dad Dave and did the same. 
Skylar told her parents she was tired and wanted to go to bed, so she said goodnight to them both and headed off to her room. Mary and Dave could have never known that that was the last time they would ever see their only child. According to a Change.org petition created by a friend of the Niece family, later that night, Rachel and Sheila told Skylar that they wanted to make amends for all of their recent friction. Rachel was leaving for a two-week stay at a church camp the next day, so she wanted to make up before she left. Skylar was initially reluctant to sneak out, but Rachel and Sheila were persistent. Eventually, Skylar did give in. She grabbed a bench, put it below her window, climbed out, and went to meet Sheila and Rachel, who had just pulled up in Sheila's car. Skylar, however, never came home. On the afternoon of July 6, Dave knocked on Skylar's bedroom door to ask her to drive him to work. He needed to leave her with the car so she could make her shift at Wendy's later that day. Her dad got no response, so he opened her door and noticed that she was gone. He called her phone, but she didn't answer, so Dave called Mary, who was at work. According to one of Mary's posts on Facebook, she told Dave that Skylar was probably shopping or swimming with friends and told him to call Sheila. He did call Sheila, but she said she hadn't seen or heard from Skylar at all. Dave called Mary back and she gave him a few more contacts to try, but none of them had seen or heard from Skylar either. Dave went outside and looked below Skylar's bedroom window. He noticed the window was cracked and the screen had been removed and there was a bench below it. It was clear that Skylar had snuck out, but she hadn't taken much with her. She'd left behind her phone charger and her contacts, which meant wherever she had gone, she certainly hadn't planned on staying there long. Dave called Mary again and she brought up that Skylar had to be at work at four, so she suggested they check with Wendy's around that time. Surely wherever she was, she wasn't going to miss work. At around 4 p.m., Mary got home from work, and just as she was about to call Wendy's, the phone rang. It was Wendy's, calling to ask if Skylar was coming in. Mary immediately started to panic because Skylar had never missed work before. This was completely unlike her. Mary then called Sheila to ask if she had seen or heard from Skylar at all that day, and she repeated that she hadn't. The phone call ended, but that wasn't the last of their conversation. Sheila called Mary back about 15 minutes later and said she needed to tell Mary the whole story. Sheila recounted how she and Rachel had picked up Skylar at around 11 p.m. after she snuck out. They went joyriding and smoked some pot before dropping Skylar off just before midnight. Sheila said Skylar insisted on being dropped off at the end of her street because she didn't want her parents to hear the car. Sheila said that she did what Skylar asked, and that was the last time she had seen her. And at this point, Mary believed Sheila's story because she had no reason not to. Remember, Sheila was like a second daughter to her. Big Mad True Crime is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey guys, when it comes to my relationships, whether it's work relationships, friendships, family, or my marriage, there is nothing more important to me. 
It obviously hasn't always been a walk in the park because life is life, but I'm proud of the work that we've all put in, and I can't imagine a life without every single one of them. A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right, but sometimes the best ones happen when both people put in the work to make them great. Therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face in all of your relationships, whether it's with friends, work, your significant other, or anyone else. My therapist is absolutely incredible, and I cannot imagine a world where I'm not filling her in on every single thing going on in my life every week. Sometimes she reassures me that I'm doing everything that I can, and sometimes she offers me a perspective I wasn't able to see on my own. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I know that I personally went through a couple of therapists before I found the one that was right for me, and it was absolutely worth the effort. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BigMad today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BigMad. After hearing that Skylar had been dropped off at the end of the road and knowing that she'd never made it home, Mary had the paralyzing fear that Skylar had been abducted. Dave and Mary immediately called the Star City police, who did respond quickly. They conducted a neighborhood search and went door to door, but no one had seen or heard anything. Calculating next steps, police began planning a full-blown search, and there was a lot to consider. They lived in an apartment complex, which was near a river. According to Mary's Facebook, it was during that planning that she remembered the complex had security cameras. She called the landlord to pull the footage, and there Skylar was. It showed her sneaking out of her bedroom at 12.30 a.m., walking across the parking lot and getting into the backseat of a car. The nieces didn't recognize the car and the footage was blurry so they couldn't make out the license plate. Most importantly, though, was that this footage never showed Skylar coming back, not in a car and certainly not on foot. Everyone listening to this probably has strong suspicions about Sheila at this point, But Mary didn't because she knew her and she loved her. Mary later told Dateline that based on Sheila's story, she figured Skylar had snuck back into the house after Sheila and Rachel dropped her off before midnight. That the 1230 sighting was Skylar sneaking out a second time. Once police saw the footage of Skylar voluntarily getting into a car, they considered her a runaway and everything came to a halt. The police refused to bring in search and rescue, and no Amber Alert was sent out. It was a devastating moment for the nieces because they knew their daughter, and they knew she hadn't run away. It didn't make any sense because why wouldn't she take her cell phone charger, any of her money, or even her contact lenses if she planned on staying gone? The following day, July 7th, Sheila came to the niece's apartment to see if they needed anything. She and Mary ended up putting up missing persons flyers around the area and going door to door to ask if anyone had seen Skylar, but no one had. 
Sheila, who appeared genuinely worried, continued to come by the niece's home asking for updates and tearfully expressing how badly she just wanted Skylar to come home. They always filled her in because, again, she was like their daughter. Rachel, however, never went to the niece's home, but she did send a few Facebook messages saying that she and her mom were there for them if Mary and Dave needed anything. By July 9th, Skylar still hadn't come home, so the police asked the public for any information on her whereabouts. They were sure to state, though, that there was no foul play suspected. It might seem like they were starting to get on board that something was wrong here, but according to Mary's Facebook, they still believed that Skylar was nothing more than a runaway. As the days continued to pass, The nieces regularly contacted police for updates, but were repeatedly told by the chief that Skylar would likely return on her own. The chief said there was little authorities could do beyond following up on any tips they got. At one point, police did interview Sheila and Rachel, and they admitted that it was them who had picked Skylar up at 1230, but they both maintained that Skylar asked to be let out down the street to avoid waking her parents. On July 19th, nearly two weeks had passed since Skylar was last seen. In hopes of bringing more attention to her disappearance, Dave spoke with WBOY and shared a tearful message for his daughter, saying, We love you. Come home as soon as you can, baby. Adding, Honey, if you're scared, don't be scared. All of this is for you. We want you home more than anything in the world. You're not in trouble. We need to talk and that's all, honey. Just come home. Dave and Mary were beyond desperate for Skylar to return home, and as hopeful as that message sounded, they both knew in their hearts that something was very, very wrong. On July 22nd, the police told the media that Skylar's case was at a standstill. They had gotten a number of tips, but none of them panned out. Because of this, they'd finally called in the FBI and NCMEC, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Later that month, after more than three weeks had passed, her family set up a table outside a Walmart to sell shirts with Skylar's name and picture. They were hoping that these shirts would generate some kind of tips, but unfortunately, none came in. The nieces continued calling the police for updates, but were always told that Skylar was a runaway and nothing could be done outside of following tips. And for future reference, that's bullshit. As July turned to August, Sheila continued her visits to the niece's apartment. She also took to Twitter to talk about Skylar, writing, was really wanting Skylar to come home today, and Skylar needs to come home. I can't take any more of this. Before the end of August, students at University High returned to school, and that included Rachel and Sheila. Despite Skylar's absence, the girls kept up with their usual activities, with Rachel auditioning for the fall play and actually landing the leading role. It wasn't all auditions and accomplishments, though, because Skylar's disappearance was a huge topic of conversation. And by conversation, I mean rumors. One rumor suggested that maybe Skylar had overdosed at a party and her body was hidden to cover it up, but that was really unlikely since Skylar had no history of using hard drugs, and at some point, surely one of those kids would have slipped up and told anyone. By early September, two months had passed with no sign of Skylar, and the nieces couldn't take it anymore. 
They knew their daughter wouldn't stay away that long without at least reaching out to someone. Mary, being the mama bear she is, headed down to the police station with no intent of leaving without answers. Mary wrote on Facebook that she sat down with the chief who told her that Skylar would be considered a runaway until information proved otherwise. Mary begged the chief to tell her everything he knew, but he claimed he couldn't disclose details of the investigation. Mary asked the chief to bring in the state police, but he said he'd already asked them for help and they had declined. Mary was then told to leave his office. Mary was beyond upset and not about to stop there, so she contacted the state police herself. And to her surprise, they said they'd never been asked to help with the investigation, nor would they ever refuse to help with this kind of case. Because of Mary's call, the state police and the FBI officially joined in the search for Skylar. In fact, the state police eventually took lead in her investigation. The investigation was finally going somewhere, and detectives dove into Skylar's cell phone, computer, and bank account. They found that she hadn't spent a dime since her disappearance, nor had she called or texted anyone. As for her social media accounts, they showed absolutely no activity, something extremely out of the norm for 16-year-old Skylar. Something was obviously wrong here, something her parents knew all along, so the FBI started interviewing students at Skylar's high school. The last people she'd been seen with were her teenage best friends, so Dateline reports that the FBI focused a lot of their attention on Sheila and Rachel. They were interviewed over and over and over again. Sheila was always cool, calm, and collected, maintaining direct eye contact with the interviewer. But Rachel, on the other hand, always seemed distracted. She had a hard time making eye contact at all and always seemed to be doodling or fidgeting. For girls with very different demeanors, they both told the same story. They picked up Skylar at around 12.30, drove around Morgantown, smoked some pot, and then dropped her off down the street from her house. Despite the fact that their story never changed, there was something about the girls that just wasn't believable. Detectives felt like they knew more than they were saying and wondered if they might be protecting someone else or were just afraid of getting in trouble. When the investigators told Mary and Dave about their concerns, they actually defended the girls, insisting that Sheila and Rachel were struggling just as much as they were. No matter how many times police shared their suspicions, Mary stood by her daughter's best friends, refusing to believe they had any involvement in Skylar's disappearance. Dave even asked police to stop harassing the girls. Detectives were undeterred and kept digging, and it's a good thing they did. According to Dateline, detectives found surveillance footage from a gas station that showed that on the night of July 5th, the girls had actually driven out of town and headed towards Blacksville. That was a direct contradiction to their claim of cruising around Morgantown. With that, police dug into Rachel's cell phone pings, which did in fact place her in Blacksville on that night. Both of the girls were lying, and police knew it, even if Mary and David didn't. Yet. 
Despite being questioned 1,100 times by police, Sheila and Rachel acted like nothing in the world was wrong. They took silly photos together and posted endlessly on social media. One day, Sheila actually tweeted, No one on this earth can handle me, and Rachel, if you think you can, you're wrong. That sentiment would not age well. When it comes to crime and numbers, there is always a weakest link, and everyone was about to figure out which one that was. In late November, as the interviews continued, Rachel started to crumble. According to Dateline, for the first time ever, she changed her story. She finally admitted the girls had left Morgantown on the 5th and drove to Blacksville, but she claimed Skylar had asked them to drop her off there. If that was the case, though, why lie about it? If you didn't do anything wrong, why allow Skylar's family to search in the wrong place this entire time? The following day, police interviewed Sheila, who all of a sudden followed suit and told the exact same new story. Detectives were more suspicious than ever, and they knew they were getting closer to whatever the truth was. The police went back to the nieces with their concerns, and it was then that they realized these friends were not friends at all. Mary started posting things on Facebook about karma and how you can't hide. She hoped the girls would see the posts and finally come forward with the truth, and it kind of seemed to work. Students at the girls' high school told Dateline that Rachel wasn't herself in class, and it was obvious something was eating away at her. With that, the rumor mill stopped being about Skylar possibly overdosing and started focusing on Sheila and Rachel. Hey guys, starting a health and wellness journey is such a personal thing and it's never easy. I remember back in 2016 when I had a considerable amount of weight to lose and the idea of going to the gym was just so overwhelming. It was a new environment for me and I honestly had no idea what I was even supposed to do when I got there. There's no wrong way to start your journey and whether you're going all in or just easing into it, Allo Moves has the classes and flows that are made to move with you. Allo Moves is the on-demand streaming wellness platform from Allo Yoga. From yoga and fitness to meditation and self-care, it's my go-to for every step of my health and wellness journey. I am all about small daily patterns that make a big difference, and Allo Moves gets it. Whether I'm needing some alignment with guided meditation or I'm ready to kick some butt in a cardio or hit class, Allo Moves has what I need when I need it. And can we talk about the game changers for a second? Like gua sha, dry brushing, and face yoga. It's like they've got some kind of wellness magic going on. With over 100 new classes every month, Allo Moves keeps me hooked and motivated. It's like a constant stream of fresh vibes for my wellness journey. I feel like I'm constantly trying to tackle my busy schedule and prioritize myself at the same time. And I love how Allo Moves fits right in anytime I need it to. All classes are on demand, so they're ready when I am. I tend to focus on their core and stretching videos to help with my climbing, and I've really seen an improvement in my stability and flexibility on the wall. No matter your path, it's time to make a move with Allo Moves. Get a free 30-day Allo Moves subscription by going to allomoves.com and use code BIGMAD30. That's A-L-O-Moves.com, code BIGMAD30 in all caps. Allomoves.com, code BIGMAD30, all caps.
In December, the state police started working with the U.S. Attorney's Office, and with permission from police, Mary posted a lengthy update to Facebook. Mary said that Skylar's best friends had both been caught lying to state and federal authorities on multiple occasions and were still withholding information as of that day. Mary also added that Sheila had failed a lie detector test, while Rachel had simply not shown up. Not for the test, and not for her last appointment with police and her attorney. Mary continued, saying she was deeply troubled by the idea that the girls could witness their supposed best friend vanish without taking any action. Mary said that if whatever happened to Skylar was an accident, the girls had ample opportunity to come forward, but they never did, not even when they were offered immunity. If Skylar had OD'd or died in some kind of accident, these girls were given a get-out-of-culpability-free card, but they didn't take it. Because of that, Mary felt pretty sure there was foul play involved and for the first time ever suggested that murder wasn't off the table. Mary emphasized that she'd previously had unconditional love for Sheila and Rachel. As we know, she loved them as if they were her own daughters. She never imagined they could be involved in something like this and called it the ultimate betrayal. According to Mary, the girls seemed to think they were invincible, but they were in for a rude awakening. The world found out via Facebook that subpoenas and warrants were being issued for a grand jury scheduled for January. Mary begged Rachel and Sheila to please tell the truth because the nieces just needed to know. They needed to know if they were looking for their daughter or looking for her remains. Around the time of Mary's Facebook post, Rachel and Sheila couldn't handle the rumors anymore and stopped showing up to school. By the end of December, their friendship was starting to crumble. On the 28th, Sheila tweeted, I actually can't take this fight seriously anymore. I'm sorry, Rach. That same day, Rachel's mom called 911. She reported that Rachel was uncontrollable, screaming, hitting her parents, and running around the neighborhood. During that call, which Dateline got access to, Rachel could be heard screaming while her mom explained that her husband was attempting to contain her. Police responded to the house and Rachel was taken to a mental health facility. The next day, Sheila tweeted, Ugh, I hope my girl Rachel is okay. Love you. Six days later, Sheila tweeted a picture of her and Rachel together with the caption, Finally got to see Rachel. It was giving Mean Girls too, but something shifted that day because in a shock to everyone, Rachel contacted police and told them to meet her at her attorney's office. According to Dateline, as police sat down to interview Rachel, she pulled a trash can up next to her because she was afraid she was going to throw up. Detectives started asking her questions like, did Skylar overdose at a party and her body was hidden? But Rachel's face flushed red. She glanced at the police, then simply stated, we stabbed her. It was clear from their line of questioning that they'd had to pull answers out of these girls, and this scenario was not one they had anticipated. They let Rachel take the lead, and she went on to describe their murderous plot to kill their best friend. 
Rachel said they spent months plotting Skylar's murder, planning at their houses, during school, and basically wherever. They settled on July 5th as the perfect day because Rachel was leaving for church camp the next day. Their plan was to pick up Skylar from her house at night under the guise of smoking pot and drive about 30 miles away to a remote spot on a gravel road in Wayne Township, Pennsylvania. I know that's another state, but it was just a bridge away from West Virginia. They'd hung out there before, so they knew Skylar would feel comfortable going there with them. Once there, Sheila and Rachel would count to three, then stab Skylar to death. After that, they'd bury her body, change their clothes, clean up any evidence, and head home. According to Metro News, Rachel told police that on July 5th, she grabbed a shovel from her dad's place and stashed it in Sheila's trunk. They packed clean clothes and cleaning supplies, and Sheila brought kitchen knives, which they hid in their clothes. That night, they convinced Skylar to leave her apartment. The girls drove Skylar to the secluded spot to smoke, and once they got out of the car, Sheila and Rachel mentioned they'd left their lighter in the car, and Skylar offered to grab it. As Skylar headed back to get it, Sheila and Rachel ambushed her with their knives. Rachel counted one, two, three, and they started stabbing Skylar from behind while she fought for her life. At one point, Skylar did get away and made a run for it, but Rachel tackled her after a few steps. Skylar managed to grab a knife briefly, cutting Rachel's ankle, but Sheila kept stabbing her. They stabbed Skylar more than 50 times until they lost count and Skylar stopped moving. Sheila and Rachel wanted to bury Skylar, but they couldn't dig a grave, so they hid her behind a tree, covering her with branches and dirt. After cleaning up and changing clothes, they tossed their bloody clothes in the trunk and drove off. When they got back home, they acted like nothing in the world had happened, and Rachel merrily went off to her church camp as scheduled. Just killed someone, headed off to church camp. According to Dateline, when police asked if Skylar said anything during the attack, Rachel recalled her saying only one word. Why? When questioned about why they killed Skylar, Rachel simply stated that they didn't like her and wanted to end their friendship. Rachel led police to Skylar's body, but all that was left was skeletal remains, all of which had been scattered by animals. Her bones were sent off for testing, but the confirmation that they were, in fact, Skylar's didn't come for months. In today's episode of Ripley's Believe It or What the Fuck, Rachel was not immediately arrested. Due to her history of lying to police, they were cautious about her credibility. They needed corroborating evidence to support her statement and were also hoping to keep Rachel cooperative in the hopes of being able to record a damning conversation between her and Sheila. Skylar's parents had no idea any of this was going on, so detectives gave them a call to let them know that they believed they had found Skylar's remains, but didn't tell them how or anything about Rachel's confession. The only hint that something was up was that police told the nieces not to tell anyone, not friends, not family, and certainly not the media. This is a great example of why police keep certain information close to the vest, because they needed Sheila to slip up and she was going to spiral if she knew that Skylar's remains had been found. 
On February 10th, Skylar's family celebrated what should have been her 17th birthday. They held a candlelight vigil and released heart-shaped paper lanterns into the sky. Dave spoke to Metro News, stating, Everybody who has a child at home now, love them. Hug them. You don't know and you don't want to know what we're going through. When asked if the family had any updates, he said none they could talk about. It had been more than a month since they'd gotten the news, but rest assured, detectives were working their asses off. They devised a plan where Rachel invited Sheila over to her house, hoping to get her to talk about the murder. Hidden cameras were set up and police were on standby just in case anything violent happened. Unfortunately, though, Sheila said nothing that they could take her in on. A few days later, police hit up Sheila's house with a warrant and seized the car Rachel claimed they had driven that night. DNA evidence was located in that trunk and sent off for testing. While that was being tested, authorities finally got the confirmation that the remains Rachel had led them to were indeed Skylar's. On March 13th, the U.S. Attorney's Office made the public announcement that the remains found back in January in Wayne Township, Pennsylvania, had been positively identified as belonging to Skyler. They did not reveal Skyler's cause of death or whether any foul play was involved. They simply stated that the investigation into Skyler's disappearance and her subsequent death was still ongoing. Following the announcement, Dave told Metro News, Our whole world is gone. We lived for that girl. We did everything in the world for that girl, and now she's gone. No parent should ever have to bury their children. When the news hit the girls' high school, friends called Sheila to say they were sorry. The news had not indicated anything suspicious about Skylar's death, and kids don't know what they don't know, so they all assumed they'd erroneously cast suspicion on a girl whose friend had simply tragically died. Sheila ate that shit up, and cried and asked, who could do this? That same day, Sheila posted to Twitter saying, worst day of my whole life, along with the pain is real. She then posted a photo collage of her and Skylar with the caption, rest easy, Skylar, you'll always be my best friend. I miss you more than you could ever know. The next day, she tweeted, seriously, don't understand any of this at all. I think I speak for everyone here when I say the motherfucking audacity. Sheila kept tweeting as if she wasn't a whole-ass murderer, and many of her tweets were cryptic, but one stood out more than the others, like the one where she wrote, We really did go on three. Sheila had no idea Rachel had told police about counting to three before stabbing Skylar, and consider my flabber fucking gasted. Hey guys, being in control of my health means being really mindful about what I put in my body. From food to supplements, I'm always trying to find the best option out there, which is why I am so excited to tell you about Thorn. Thorn takes a personalized, innovative, and scientific approach to health and wellness with their supplements. They manufacture all their supplements in the U.S. using top-notch ingredients sourced globally. Plus, they team up with leading medical professionals to bring you highly effective nutritional supplements. Whether it's their B-complex, creatine, magnesium citrumate, or basic prenatal, 
Thorne's got all the supplements I need to help promote and maintain my health goals. Prior to the podcast, nutrition was my job, and I got to know the ins and outs, the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to supplements. After I lost all the weight I needed to back in 2016, I dabbled in bodybuilding and learned what supplements I loved and which ones were kind of just a wash. When 2020 hit and everything shut down, I kind of strayed from lifting, which wound up being great, and now my focus is just making sure my body is working at the highest level it can. I'm not just taking care of my muscles anymore, I'm taking care of my brain, my joints, everything. When I heard about Thorne, I went to their site and was genuinely impressed by what they had to offer. They had simple supplements like Kids Multi Plus and Women's Multi 50 Plus, but they also had more advanced supplements like 5-MTHF and Ferrosorb, which is what I ordered, and I cannot wait to try them. And I know when I talk about more advanced supplements, it can probably sound a little bit overwhelming, but Thorne explains to you what's in them and what their purpose is. Like for the Ferrosorb, they tell you it's got a form of iron designed for optimal absorption and vitamin C to enhance iron's absorption. It also has active forms of folate in there along with vitamins B6 and B12. With Thorn, I never have to question what's in each supplement because they go the extra mile when it comes to quality, manufacturing, and ingredients. In fact, they use such thorough testing and a super clean manufacturing process. They've earned some of the highest certifications in the industry. Thorn's not just my go-to. It's trusted by over 5 million customers, 47,000 healthcare pros, loads of pro athletes, 100-plus pro sports teams, and multiple U.S. national teams. Give your body what it really needs with Thorn. Go to thorn.fit slash bigmad and use code bigmad for 10% off your first order. That's T-H-O-R-N-E dot F-I-T slash bigmad, code bigmad for 10% off your first order. Thorn.fit slash bigmad, code bigmad. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Aside from her cryptic tweets, Sheila posted frequently about watching Law & Order SVU. At one point, she even dared to ask if there were any episodes where the case wasn't solved by the end. Rachel also posted on social media as if nothing was wrong, one day saying that she needed a mimosa, I guess an underage one, or maybe 10. She's the one who said the 10. Anywho, while the girls were busy tweeting their lives away, the investigation was full steam ahead. In mid-April, DNA testing on the samples from Sheila's trunk confirmed the DNA belonged to Skylar. This meant Rachel wasn't lying when she said they threw their bloody clothes in the trunk, and that was the one bit of corroborating evidence police needed to throw Rachel in the slammer. But before they did that, they needed to film Mary and Davin on what had been going on the last couple of months. As you can imagine, it was a soul-crushing conversation. Dave later told the Associated Press that every single day since he learned about his daughter's fate, he thinks about her last moments and how he and Mary couldn't save their baby. The nieces further expressed their desire to uncover the true reason why their daughter was murdered. They knew it couldn't have been simply because they didn't want to be friends anymore. 
It would later be revealed that students told police that word around school was Sheila and Rachel were in a sexual relationship and Skylar had found out. They were worried she might share their secret, so they decided to kill her. The nieces disputed this claim, however, saying that Skylar wouldn't have cared because she had other gay friends. According to Investigation Discovery, one officer suggested that Sheila and Rachel killed Skylar simply for the thrill of it. And as horrifying as that sounds, I kind of think that's the most probable scenario here. Neither girl seemed too bothered by what they had done. One went off to church camp and they inserted themselves into Skylar's family's grief. Sheila and Rachel posted provocative photos of themselves together on social media, so it wasn't like either of them were overly concerned about anyone finding out. And Sheila's tweets about unsolved SVU episodes, knowing what we know, seemed to lean more towards a sick fascination with her own murderous plot than any other motive. On May 1st, authorities issued arrest warrants for Rachel Schoaf and Sheila Eddy. They would be charged with first-degree murder in juvenile court. As soon as Rachel found out about the arrest warrant, she turned herself in. She immediately entered into a plea deal where her case was transferred to adult court and she was allowed to plead guilty to second-degree murder in a closed courtroom. Prosecutors said they would recommend a 20-year sentence for her, but she could face up to 40 years under sentencing guidelines. Her sentencing, however, was postponed until Sheila's case could progress through the court system. According to CBS, during Rachel's plea hearing, the prosecution expressed astonishment at the ability of two teenage girls to maintain their deception from July to January, stating some of the criminals that are locked up for life aren't that hard. The prosecution also revealed that a few students had overheard conversations between the two regarding the murder plot, but delayed reporting it because they thought it was a joke. And while Rachel had turned herself in, Sheila did not. She was arrested outside of a Cracker Barrel where she had been casually eating with her mom. Sheila pled not guilty and her case was kept in juvenile court. That meant her identity wasn't disclosed to the public, but let's be honest here, everyone knew Sheila was the second girl arrested. After Rachel's arrest and plea became public, her parents released a statement to the niece family expressing their remorse. In part, it read, We are truly sorry for the pain that she has caused the niece family, and we know Rachel's actions are unforgivable and inexcusable. Our daughter has admitted her involvement, and she has accepted responsibility for her actions. Our hearts are broken for your loss, and we are still trying to come to terms with this event. The nieces conveyed to the media that they didn't hold Sheila or Rachel's parents accountable for what happened. They certainly didn't raise their daughters to become killers, and the nieces knew that. As we all know, Mary and Dave once loved these girls too. Come September, Sheila's name was made public after her case was transferred from juvenile court to adult court, and we love that for her. She was now facing charges of first-degree murder, kidnapping, and conspiracy. She pled not guilty, and her trial was scheduled for late January of 2014. Dave told CBS that the thought of sitting through Sheila's trial did not bring him and Mary relief. He said they didn't want to hear the grisly details of how Skylar was murdered or how she screamed and cried. But they did want these girls to get what they deserve, so they'd go to trial if they had to. Thankfully, in the end, the nieces did not have to sit through a trial. 
In January of 2014, right before her trial was scheduled to begin, Sheila pled guilty to first-degree murder. The kidnapping and conspiracy charges were dropped, and she was sentenced to life with the chance for parole after 15 years. And that's terrifying because life is not 15 years. During her hearing, Sheila declined to address the court, which was obviously really upsetting to the nieces. I'm pissed for them. They told the media that it was unacceptable she didn't even try to apologize for her actions. In February of 2014, Rachel was sentenced to 30 years in prison with a possibility of parole after 10 years. She apologized to the niece family, saying, I don't know if there's a proper way to make this apology. The person that did that was not the real me, not the person I am, not what I'm made of, and not what I believe in. I became scared and caught up in something I did not want to do. Dave addressed Rachel and told her, you can never, ever say you're sorry to me or my wife because you're not. There will never be closure to us as far as you two are concerned. Adding, these are two twisted, sick individuals and they're exactly where they need to be. Rachel and Sheila were both sent to Lakin Correctional Center in West Columbia, West Virginia to serve their time. In early 2023, Rachel was eligible for parole after serving only nine years of her sentence. Someone please tell me why in the fuck we have sentences or sentencing guidelines if no one follows them. Why are we constantly passing new laws within the criminal justice system when the people enforcing them can't be bothered to follow the ones we have? Why do we have life sentences when they don't mean life? Why do we give a 20-year sentence if we don't mean you're going to spend 20 years in prison? And why do we tell a family that their daughter's killer won't be eligible for parole for at least 10 years, only to be told she's eligible after nine? We get upset with police officers when they don't do their jobs, as we should, but I almost never hear anyone getting upset at prosecutors that won't file the damn charges, or judges who throw sentencing guidelines to the fucking wind, and parole boards giving second chances to the cruel and heinous. What is the criminal justice system for if there is no system? Needless to say, at the end of my rant, when the nieces learned about Rachel's possible early release, Dave wrote a letter to the parole board stating in no uncertain terms they did not want Rachel getting released early. The letter read in part, Thank you for the opportunity to tell you why I believe this inmate should not be granted parole. Because of that malicious monster, my child never got a limo for her prom. Instead, she got a ride in a coroner's vehicle. Also, there was no sparkling gown for Skylar, just a body bag. She will never have a certificate of graduation, only a death certificate. The date of July 6, 2012 was chosen for a specific reason. You see, this beast wanted the killing out of the way before she left for church camp. Just another task to mark off her list, like standing over my child saying, die, bitch, as my baby girl took her last breath. Because the evil butcher didn't want to be her friend. I wasn't there to defend my baby girl from this diabolical killer on July 6, 2012, but I'm here today to do everything within my power to make sure she stays behind bars. This vicious murderer sits here today asking for a second chance. 
chance. I ask you, where is Skylar's second chance? Where was her second chance when this monster counted to three and began to slash and stab at my only child? I don't want to live in a world without Skylar, but I have to. I want to make sure it's as safe as possible from predators like this one. I ask that you deny parole for this diabolical butcher and allow Skylar's mother and I the knowledge that her killer will not be granted the reality of adulthood that our daughter was never allowed to experience. In May of 2023, Rachel attended her parole hearing and she finally offered a motive for Skylar's murder, that she and Sheila had been in a relationship and they were afraid Skylar was going to tell people. According to WBOY, Rachel told the parole board, after things became known with the relationship, there was tension between us. It was hostile and violent. In our teenage minds, we didn't know how to handle the conflict and we just wanted it to stop. When asked what she would say to Skylar's family, Rachel said, I know I can't express how sorry I am for what I have done or for the pain I have caused. I loved her. I know what we did was terrible and there's no words to describe the pain that we caused and I know there is nothing I can say or do. I just pray for them all the time and pray for peace in their heart. I would trade places with Skylar so she could be with her loved ones. I just want them to know how deeply sorry I am. Rachel's parole was, denied. Her next hearing is in May of this year, 2024, and according to the Department of Corrections, she isn't projected to be released until April of 2028. Sheila's first parole hearing will be in May of 2028, and her projected release date is in the year 3000, so she can fuck off. Following the death of their only child, Dave and Mary Niece were determined to help other missing children. They worked with legislators to pass Schuyler's Law in West Virginia, which requires Amber Alerts for all missing children, not just those believed to have been kidnapped, something every single state needs to co-sign. The Nieces also launched outreach initiatives known as Schuyler Talks, where they visit schools and prisons to help others understand that their actions can cause pain that extends far beyond the intended victim of a crime. For younger audience, they discuss Skylar's Promise, where young individuals pledge to speak up if they sense something is wrong. When speaking about all of the incredible things the nieces have done, Dave told Metro News, It's so important to me that this never happens again to anyone. It's the most horrible thing I have ever been through, obviously, and I don't want anyone else to go through it. I wouldn't wish it on the two people that put me through it. For photos pertaining to this case, check out Skylar's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there today at noon Eastern where you go live with me and talk about today's case and all other true crime cases on your mind. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. It makes my day every single time. And if you have a case you'd like to hear covered, share it with Big Mad True Crime on social media because all cases are covered by listener request. If you're looking for a place to submit it on social media, I definitely recommend the Big Mad True Crime Facebook group. We have a group chat where you can sign silence the notifications so it's not blowing up your phone all the time because that's insane. But in that group chat, you can go in at any point in time and suggest a case. It never disappears. It never gets bogged down. I will see every single one you suggest. To get access to ad-free and bonus episodes, subscribe to our Apple Premium or head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just two whole dollars a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. I'll be bringing you guys a brand new case next week, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.
We are officially at the end of the... My mouth isn't working. What I meant to say is we are officially at the end of this episode, which means that it's time to share a review that made my entire day. So let me grab my phone because Kyle was sending me some before I started recording. Oh, you guys left a bunch. I love you guys. All right. This one is from Days... Days are rye. Does rye? Okay, I love you. I'm going to spell your name. D-A-Z-E-R-R-A-I. Oh my gosh, you guys, we made it to 5,000 reviews. That's crazy. I love you guys. Okay, anyway, this says, Heather has the perfect voice and talks at a normal speed. Her tone always reflects what she is telling. She does an amazing job at covering all the bases. She has ruined me for other podcasts. Heart emoji. Heart emoji to you. And I only laughed at the perfect voice because... I'm so bad at complimenting myself, and I said it to myself, but to you guys. Anyway, I always worried that I had the worst voice ever. I heard it when I went to record a voicemail when I was younger, and I was like, damn, I sound like a 14-year-old boy, and I will forever. And so then I started a podcast, and I was like, "Ah, here goes nothing. But you guys are so nice. I love you guys. I don't know. I mean, there's always somebody who's like, you sound like a pickle. (laughs) I could have picked anything else. Uh, but you know what? I don't know. Live your life. Susan, I love you. You're the best. And I I don't know. I'm just really grateful. I'm having a grateful moment for you guys. So I love you guys. You're the best. Thank you for being nice to me for no reason. You, um, it, I, How many podcasts do we all listen to when we never leave a review? Because we just don't think about it. The fact that you guys think about it and leave the review, like it really makes a difference and it means the world. And I hope you truly, truly know how much it means to me because I I love them so much and I love you guys so much and you're the best. Okay. If you've made it this far, you're at the hot take for today. <sighs> the last two episodes, we've had people just set in their lie and their fucking dumbass lies too. And it never works out for them. I'm like, fuck off. It blows my mind because... <sighs> We've done a few cases where friends are the killers. This one is insane to me. And I really want to focus on Sheila here. Sheila's BFF since eight. Since fucking eight, right? Rachel came in later. So when you think about like adding new people to the BFF group, three's a tough number with friendships. Rachel didn't seem to be the problem. Sheila was the fucking problem. So they become friends, whatever, right? This happens. They kill. They kill Skylar. They kill their best friend. They come up with a lie. This is like so fucking diabolical. Monster, butcher, everything her dad said on fucking point, right? They do that. Rachel goes off to church camp. Sheila is just living her life, living her life. And she is over at the house sobbing and crying and so emotional and putting up posters and all sorts of fucking shit with Skylar's family, deeply involved, diving into Law & Order SVU, wanting unsolved cases. It's like that, all of us love SVU. Let's be real. Get out of here. We all love that show. Her liking that show and asking specifically for unsolved cases it just, it goes so much deeper. I don't know if it's it's sending the hairs off of everybody else's lizard brain. I don't even know if that's a thing. That's how I can describe it. Something's not right about her. And she's doing all this tweeting and all this stuff. And when 
when they find Skylar's body and the school finds the students, school staff, whoever, they all find out about it, right? She eats up the fucking apologies. Fucking eats it up. It's insane. I, I can't I can't handle this anymore. I can't stand this anymore. She was always in these interviews. So she is up in Skylar's family's business the whole time, wanting updates, crying, wanting Skylar home. In interviews, she's the one making eye contact, confident, assured of herself, showing up every single time. She's the one. It's, in, it's insane. It's insane. She was so diabolical in her actions. She was so confident in her manipulation. Like, this is a terrifying person. When I heard they were going to juvenile court, I was like, fuck, right? But then I think about other cases and I'm like, oh, you know, kids, they do not understand the gravity of their actions. But no, this was adult shit. You want to act like a grown-up? You can get punished like a grown-up. Fuck you. And the fucking vacuum you came in on. Don't the fuck out broom is the word. Anyway, fuck off. And then so there were times when looking through this case, researching it, everything, writing it up. Um, with the help of Haley, I love you so much. I said Haley weird. Anyway, you get who it is. Where I almost felt a tinge of like favor to Rachel. I think we probably all did. Where it was, okay, she's the one cracking. She's the one uncomfortable during these interviews. Fidgeting, doodling, not making eye contact. She's the one losing her damn mind at home. She is the one who calls police and is like, meet me in my attorney's office. She is the one that walks police through everything. and. It's crazy to me that all of a sudden she's like, okay, right? She's posted on social media, yada, yada, yada. She had to know it was coming, but maybe she just felt more comfortable with it then. Anywho, we can only assume motive here, right? And I'm with that one detective who suggested that it was just for the thrill of it. I'm with him there because there was no hiding their relationship. They were open about it from what I can tell. And so, and there was nothing about Skylar that would have suggested there was any issue with her and having gay friends. She had gay friends already. Why would she have cared that she had two more? It doesn't make any sense. And if you don't want to be friends with somebody, you stop fucking talking to them, right? You stop seeing them. This dumb as shit, right? But in the midst of all their fighting and everything, Sheila and Skylar go on vacation together. All this shit. Fuck, dude. I can't imagine being Skylar's parents. This was their only child. And not only that, because they only had one child, they were deeply invested in everything she did and and said and felt and thought. And that includes her best friends. She They were deeply involved in Sheila and Rachel. They loved those girls. They had plenty of room in their hearts. They had plenty of room in their home. They, they, we've said this a million times in this episode, they treated them as if they were their own. So not only did Dave and Mary lose their daughter, they lost their daughter to the only two closest things to a daughter they have. Can you imagine what that does to, to, to the way you trust people, to the way that you view the world? Nothing is going to look the same ever again. Nothing. Their whole life was built on their, their child. That was their family. And now all of that's gone. And they would have known Sheila and Rachel for the rest of their lives, permitting they remain friends. And that's gone to everything about their future is gone. So they didn't just kill somebody who was the most important person to them. They killed her future. They killed 
their future, grandchildren, her, whoever she married in the future, all of it's gone. They have to mourn a lifetime of, of memories they're not able to make. And, and it goes three ways too. Like in a perfect world, these girls would have been their family too. And, and I can't even imagine the, the pure guttural despising they have for these girls. Just it, it's not like a stranger took their daughter. Nobody abducted her that when she was walking home or in Blacksville. No, no, these, her best friends. Fuck off. This is fucking no. And to go, she told the parole board, like, oh, you know, I was worried she was going to tell people about our relationship. I don't believe that for a second. I don't believe it for a single second. Because as least, as less bad, as little less bad as she seems than fucking Sheila, who couldn't be bothered to even apologize. Not shit. She was just pissed she got caught. Fuck that girl. Fuck her. And she's young. She's, let me find her sentence again to make sure I don't screw it up life with the chance of parole after 15 years it's not life fuck off this is the dumbest shit ever i am so sick we're going on another soapbox and like i deal with this with like other work that i do and it really frustrates me so i'm going to sound really heated there are sentencing guidelines for a reason i it will never make any sense to me why life does not mean natural life stop stop saying things that aren't true that's stop calling it life Call it whatever the fuck number you want to call it or call it whatever the fuck you want to. Oh, this is the I make you feel better about the sentence thing, but actually it's not that bad because this sounds to me a lot like Sheila got life with the chance of parole after 15 years. Sound like she got a maybe 15 year sentence, a maybe 15 year sentence. Nope. No, thanks. It's like, we'll keep you in if we don't think like you've changed. No, Mm -mm. no, not for this. Bye. Keep her. No, we don't want her. Nobody wants her. Nope. I'm good. (sighs) No. And then for fucking Rachel, dude, it said chance of chance of parole after 10 years. It was nine. Somebody explain it. I'm so sick of the justice system having no formal system. If there is no actual punishment, dude, we can get into like a long, I don't want anything to like sound political because it's not what I'm getting at here. There has to be punishment. What is to deter anybody if the punishment isn't real? We see a lot of people getting upset at police. I mentioned that before. And like, dude, I'm the first one to get mad at a shitty cop. Like, absolutely not. But I see very few people getting mad at fucking prosecutors who have a good case. I've worked on a few cases like this where I've had good relationships with the detectives on the case as well, where they have a solid case, a beautiful, strong, take it to court, take it to trial. By all means, invoke your right to a speedy trial because they're ready type case. And the prosecutor's like, "Mm, you know, not right now. No. There are families where this is the only thing in their life. This is it. And they're waiting for you. And whatever the fuck reason, I don't, I don't even care. They just sit on it. Or they just these deals that drop things to a charge that is not what happened. It's not what happened. And you're going to get this. I get it. Whatever. You don't want to go to court because it's expensive, blah, 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 blah. Or you're not confident in yourself and your case. Like, well, start, please, at any point in time. Because this girl deserves to be in prison forever. Natural life. Plenty of people we hear about natural life. That's what they deserve. But no, they're getting itty bitty life. It's fucking stupid. Mm -mm. Skylar should have lived for 60 more years plus, 60 plus more years. And you're telling me that these girls, their punishment is 10 to 15 years minimum. Nine, because numbers aren't numbers, I guess. 
It just no. I've this is a tangent I could go on forever, but whatever. Anywho, I love you guys. Thanks for opening your heart up to these victims and to their families and to their good friends and for being here to fucking hate the bad guy. And I don't know, allowing your emotions to be spent on somebody that you didn't know but you care about anyway and being ready and willing to learn and to advocate and to take something you learn in one case and put it to another to advocate for somebody who maybe hasn't gotten justice yet or to learn about these issues within the justice system and decide like, hey, I want to do something about it. You guys are the best. You're honestly the least problematic group of people in the world. I couldn't ask for better listeners. I truly feel like we're all friends and it is almost time for me to hop on our live, which is coming up. So you're hearing this like weeks later, but yeah, I love you guys and I will talk to you soon. Kelly.